So truly I tell you, Jesus said to his disciples, this generation will not pass away until the Son of Man comes in power and in glory. He said that. And so we can't really fault the Thessalonian Christians for thinking some 15 or so years later that Jesus' return was imminent. Or for, in light of that fact, adjusting their lives accordingly. Jesus had said as much. Meanwhile, beyond that, Paul himself, their founding pastor, had written to them this very same thing. We who are alive, he writes to them in this letter we call 1 Thessalonians, will meet him face to face. So clearly at the time, Paul too thought that Jesus' return would soon take place. And so we can't fault these Thessalonian Christians for earnestly believing such a thing. But of course, time went on, and the sun rose and the sun set, day after day after day, and still no Jesus. Yet all the while, on account of their expectation, many in the Thessalonian church community were unplugging from their regular rhythms and routines. Unplugging from their daily mundane responsibilities, no longer working, no longer helping their neighbors and friends and family with menial day-to-day tasks, no longer going through with these daily duties. For why bother, they essentially decided, when all of this is about to end? Well... Here's the thing. The withdrawal of these Christ followers from the inner workings of their community soon enough began to place a burden on the social realities that kept them all afloat. For people needed shoes and clothes and bread and sundry other items. People needed the consistency and the stabilization of their day-to-day Routines, And so when folks began to withdraw from their daily commitments, a communal crisis began to develop. So much so that by the time Paul sat down to write his second letter to the Thessalonians, this withdrawal from things was something that Paul had to address. We just heard it read, but I want you to listen carefully to Paul's words in this second letter. Not only to the content, but particularly to the tone. We beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind and to keep away from those who are now living in idleness. We command and exhort you in the Lord Jesus to do your work. Brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing what is right. Do you hear how anguished Paul sounds? How existentially concerned he seems to be? It's because this Christian withdrawal from things is creating real problems for the community. 
People are essentially quitting in the name of Jesus. And Paul's telling them that they need to cut it out. Yes, Jesus is returning someday, he is telling them, but clearly not as soon as we all fall. And so until that day, he is saying, whenever that day shall be, we must go about our day-to-day duties and responsibilities with quiet commitment and resolve. That's what he's saying. Well, almost 2,000 years since Paul wrote those words, we are still waiting on Jesus, aren't we? And these days, it's somewhat hard for us to imagine how Jesus' delay then led to such a communal crisis. For all these years later, believe in the second coming of Christ though we do, most of us don't wake up each day with the animating thought, Jesus is returning any minute. Right? Most of us don't. That said, this doesn't mean that we, all these years later, can't relate to the sense of fatalism that caused some of the Christians in those days to withdraw from their daily responsibilities. Just open up a newspaper. or Just listen to the nightly news and you'll hear terms like the Great Resignation or quiet quitting or political fatigue syndrome or environmental collapse or existential exhaustion. I could, of course, go on and on and on. Yes, even though it's a different form of fatalism that is currently taking place, a much more negative fatalism than the one that marked the early church. Nonetheless, there is a remarkably similar type of fatalism that marks our present moment. People increasingly report that they have no trust in government or in elected officials. People increasingly claim to believe that their children's lives will be worse than their own. People increasingly feel like the work they do is unsatisfying and ultimately meaningless. And people increasingly speak in apocalyptic terms about what the future holds and about how the world, if not literally, then at least as we know it, is coming to an end. Again, I could go on and on. So given these Realities, it ought not to surprise us that, like in those early days of the church, many people today are unplugging from their regular rhythms and routines. That many people are withdrawing from various commitments and obligations that, when spread across a collective, keep a community stable and organized and united and hopeful. For if the world is essentially coming to an end, people today are increasingly asking, then why bother? No, what we're experiencing right now isn't new. It's not as if humankind hasn't been here before. 
It's not even as if the Christian church hasn't been here before. No, nothing about this is new. For collective fatalism is almost cyclical in nature. Recurring here and there, now and then, on down throughout history. But in such times of fatalism, do you know what's most often the case? Do you know what so often happens in such times? People begin to seek solace in voices that stoke their cynicism. Even in the early church, this was true. Just look at what Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians. Do not let anyone deceive you, he writes to the Thessalonians, warning them of such cynical voices in their own days. Do not listen to them, he's saying. Instead, he writes, tend to your responsibilities quietly, doing all things unto the Lord, ever expecting his return, yet never growing weary in doing what is right. That was Paul's advice in his fatalistic day. But it's so much easier to be cynical, isn't it? It's so much easier just to unplug, to withdraw, to disengage, to lash out. Is it not? It's so much easier to complain about leaders about policies, about actions, about inactions. It's so much easier to publicly lament those things that we perceive to be external failures, failures of others, injustices in systems and institutions, shifts in social norms and mores. And oh, how much easier is it to sit before our television screens and or to scroll through our social media pages, listening to attractive and eloquent people explain to us why those whom we're already prone to disliking are in fact the ones ruining the world and causing all our problems and telling us how the whole system is out to get us. And how naive we are to just go about business as usual in the face of these hostile world-ending forces. Yes, yes, cynical responses like these are easy indeed. But you know what's not easy? To do what Paul said. That is to just keep showing up, to keep doing our best, to keep earnestly serving, to trying to believe the best about others, to keep giving of ourselves to and for others, to keep being kind and gracious and honest and just, to keep being faithful. Yes, in fatalistic times, giving up on things and complaining about things and complaining about others, that's easy. But remaining a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ is hard beyond measure. 
Looking back on it from our vantage, Paul's advice seems so naive, does it not? So quaint and laughable. For all I know, the world may be, in fact, coming to an end any minute, he's saying. But nevertheless, we're to keep going about the simple things that make for honest daily living. Do your work with every bit of care as possible. Be present to all manner of people who need you. Show kindness to friend and foe alike. Just show up. Be gracious. Be just. Be faithful. I mean, in the face of such apocalyptic expectation, this does sound hopelessly naive. Almost like a whistling in the wind. How's that going to make any difference? You can hear people thinking. Well, naive or not, I sure wish more Christ followers today would take heed of Paul's advice. I sure wish more Christ followers today would be more gracious and just, a little kinder and gentler to friend and foe alike. Yes, in a time such as the present, I sure wish more Christ followers would refuse to grow weary in doing what is right. But alas, the data on such things are becoming more and more conclusive. You can go research these things. We Christ followers are instead withdrawing from things quitting and even openly maligning the fruits of the Spirit, becoming more tribal and divisive, seeking out voices who will stoke our cynicism rather than inspire our better angels, rallying around a fatalistic cry about a world on a crash course toward destruction and therefore unplugging from our responsibilities to and for the world. Now, are such fatalistic cries warranted? Is the world on a crash course toward disrepair or destruction? Dear family, like Paul before me, I haven't a slight clue. I don't think so. But I don't have the slightest clue. Just as I don't have the slightest clue when the risen Christ Jesus will return and triumph with his kingdom... But the whole point here, the whole point of this sermon, and for that matter, the whole point of this sermon series, is that the time doesn't matter. For even if this were, in the words of C.S. Lewis, the world's last night, our call as Jesus' disciples is to still treat this day as if it were the world's first. For faithful Christian discipleship is not dependent upon the time of day, but upon the faithfulness brought to bear throughout it. To that end, Martin Luther was once asked what he would do if he knew the world would end today. And he reportedly answered, I'd plant a tree. I'd plant a tree. I want you all just to think about that profound answer.
Yes, dear family, over the course of four weeks, we've looked at four major disruptions and inflection points in the millennia-old story that we ourselves are situated within. That is to say, the millennia-old Judeo-Christian story. And the point of this series has been to help us to remember that there is so much we can learn about times of change and disorientation from the experiences of our forebears. Not least the reminder that there is nothing new under the sun. But as we close our series now, we do so by closing here with this localized crisis of the Thessalonians who are withdrawing from their own mundane duties and responsibilities. And we close here because no matter the cause of the crisis in the world, no matter the nature of the disruption, no matter the time of day, no matter the moment in history, Anytime we as followers of Christ find ourselves undergoing a period of change and disruption and disorientation, our foundational charge as disciples, both as individuals and as a collective, remains the same. To just keep planting trees. Which is to say to just keep doing what is righteous keep demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, to keep spreading hope in a cynical world, to keep shining light into darkness. About that day and hour, no one knows, Jesus said, not even the Son of Man. Yeah, Jesus said that too. Let us remember that. No one knows what comes next. No one knows what the future holds for tomorrow. No one knows what the Holy Spirit of God is up to this very minute in this world. Therefore, let us, as followers of Jesus, put aside all cynicism and all fatalism And instead, continue to plant little trees of kindness and gentleness and generosity and joy. Never knowing what God might do through our simple acts of faithfulness. Never growing weary and doing what is right. Amen.